Um, yeah, we're talking about God's provision this morning. I don't know if we've got the slides up on the screen, but uh, at the beginning of this year, in fact, well, it was the very end of last year, it was New Year's Eve, and I was preparing to, um, uh, if we could get the telly on at the back as well, if we know how to do that, Don't just so I know, know the, when the slides have changed, but don't panic if you can't. Um, uh, w- I had this prayer uh, which really took hold of my heart and I just wrote it in an email to the church without really um, mulling it over particularly but it was just a prayer that we might know more of God's presence, more of his provision, more of his power in 2023 and I wrote it and I sent the email with a load of other details, other things that we were talking about and things that were important and I couldn't get away from those three Ps in my mind um, as I mulled it over and thought about it over the, 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 the days that followed. And so I felt it would be good for us to think about what those things might mean for us, what they might look like, and how we can apply uh, God's presence, God's provision, God's power. And last time I spoke, which was two weeks ago, didn't we have a great, wasn't it great last week with Andrew Davis? Uh, superb word. Just if you weren't here and you weren't able to uh, listen to it live, please go onto YouTube, uh, onto our YouTube channel and catch up with it. Last week's uh, visiting speaker, Andrew, just brought a fantastic word about hope, the eternal hope that we have and goodness knows the way that the world is around us that eternal hope is so important isn't it Uh, and what's going on in our lives we need to always be looking towards that so that was great Um, but before the week before that I spoke about God's presence and we talked about Moses at the burning bush and we talked about Moses desire and passion for the presence of God then later in his life and his ministry and uh, this week we're going further back this was the email that I sent with um, God's presence, God's provision, and God's power in 2023. Uh, we're going back even further in Scripture this morning, but um, I can't think about the uh, idea of God's provision without thinking about this title that we often uh, ascribe to the Lord, which is, uh, we, would, we would say, as Jehovah Jireh or Yahweh Yireh. Um, and we uh, understand that this phrase, which we get from uh, the passage that we'll be reading shortly, um, helps us to understand that one of God's very names, part of his very essence of who he is, is to be our provider. And this word Yahweh, the definition of that in Strong's Concordance is the name for the God of Israel. And Yireh, which actually, interestingly, comes from the word see, to see. And don't we want to see what God wants to give us? Don't we want to see the provision of the Lord? And that's uh, from Strong's Concordance as well. It comes from the word raw or um, spelt with uh, R-A-A-H, and it means to see. But in this context, it is applied as God's provision. And we're going to read from Exodus and 22. And uh, I'm going to ask you to read these verses with me. They'll be up on the screen. And if you can see them clearly enough, please do read along. If you can't, please don't worry. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am. He replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. 
Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Uh, Sorry, I've made a mistake there. Um, So starting from where it says, verse 8, Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up. There in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And that's the place in scripture where we get the phrase Yahweh Yireh or Jehovah Jireh. Uh, And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Lord Help us to understand what this passage might have looked like and meant at the time that it was written and as that story unfolded and to think about what it might mean to us now, today, in the context of the, of the New Covenant and the New Testament and as we walk uh, in, in 2023, what this might help us to understand about you. Amen. This is a really deeply troubling passage of scripture is it not anybody else find this really difficult to read Uh, and it's not a passage I've chosen to speak on very often but just as I was preparing for this week I really felt challenged that we should uh, look at this and really the reason that I feel this passage is significant for us is because it points us so clearly towards the Lord Jesus Christ and all that, that that God has done for us through him But there are some things which are really unavoidable and really challenging to unravel and think about uh, through this passage, especially with our mindsets, our very domesticated, um, our very uh, in in a culture that for most of us who have just known a culture of safety and fairly uh, domesticated life, everything's very clean and tidy. Um, but obviously, culturally, the, the, this passage would have looked very different to the people at the time. Um, but there are still things that we need to understand and learn from this. Now, the first thing that we see at the very beginning of the passage in the context is that Abraham has uh, been, he's finally received the child of promise that God has promised him. This son, Isaac, has uh, now grown up and uh, probably teenage years, difficult to say, by this time, young man anyway, 
And, um, uh, and so the, Abraham is living with the promise that God has given him. And we all live with uh, the knowledge of, of good things that God has given into our lives. Has anybody got, got a testimony of something good that God has done for them in their life? And feel free to wave your hand at me and, and say that you have. So, yeah, not everybody, but there are plenty of people in the room who can say, God has done something good in my life. Now, imagine being asked or instructed or sensing that, that God or the Holy Spirit was leading you to that thing which God has given you, that promise which he's given you, he asks you to go and lay it down. And we see here, having already gone through many ups and downs, tests and trials, Abraham um, is tested by God. God tested Abraham. That's what we see from the scripture. Now, we all go through times of testing. We all go through times of trial. And we all go through times of temptation. I don't want to give a theological critique uh, or, or, or position this morning on what God's role is in our trials and our testings and our temptations. Some would say, well, that God allows the enemy to test us. Some would say that God does the testing himself. God would say that it's just life. Some would say that it's just life. And we go through difficult situations because it's a reality. Uh, the reality is that sin has entered the world through Adam and Eve. And therefore, life is tough. Because we live in a fallen world. We live in a broken and a fractured world. And so we need to understand the reality of that. And whatever our theological view is on, and we may in this room have different perspectives on this, about what... God's role is in our testing. What is absolutely unavoidably true is that Jesus himself has entered into our testing and our temptations and our trials. And he has been tested in every kind of way. So we can't point the finger at God and say it's not fair because he himself took on flesh and has been tested in every kind of way. And Hebrews 4 tells us he did that and yet he was without sin. Not one of us in this room, I, I dare to suggest, has navigated all the tests and trials without sinning. I know I certainly haven't nav- navigated it without sinning. I have many times, multiple times in my life, I have failed and I've made the wrong choice. But Jesus made the right choices from beginning to end. If you have been going through a testing time, I want you to take heart this morning. I want you to take heart because those tests are about God refining. And every trial, every temptation and every test that we face is an opportunity for God to be at work in our lives. And for us to find a breakthrough in him. What if God is testing you or allowing you to be tested depending on your perspective? Not in order to prove that you can't, but in order to prove that you can In order to prove that you can overcome the trial, that you can still uh, maintain your faith, that you can still believe that God is with you, that you still can believe the word of God to be true and active and and alive in your life. This story seems so unpalatable to us today, especially with our revelation that we've had of God's love and his grace and his mercy and his goodness towards us. We, could, we struggle to conceive of him giving such an instruction to Abraham, don't we? Abraham, go and take your son. Take that promise, that child of promise that I've given you. And yet, what we do know is that God himself was willing to pay that price. He was 
even whatever your view is, if he was directly asking Abraham to do this, he wasn't asking Abraham to do something he wasn't willing to do himself. Because God gave his one and only begotten son that we might have eternal life, that we might know the forgiveness of sins, that we might have his presence in our lives and live in the eternal hope and security that he offers us. God was willing to make this very sacrifice, this very price, pay this very price himself. One thing about the context that just doesn't make it necessarily easier to to grasp hold of, but it does help us to understand the context. Child sacrifice was common in the neighboring cultures. We know that because we see it all around in Scripture, and yet what we see is that that practice uh, later, if we read the passages that, that talk about it, show that God despised this practice. Psalm 106, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, in various places, we, see about, we hear about God wanting to judge the uh, other nations for their practice of sacrificing their children. And whatever we make of this, God knew the end of this story before the beginning of it was written. So before he asked Abraham to, to, to show his willingness to do this, he knew that it was actually something that wasn't going to take place, right? So we know, we understand that God's heart in this situation was for something to be proven in Abraham, something to be grown, something to be something new. He birthed Abraham's promised child, Isaac, and now he wanted to birth something different and something new and fresh in Abraham. And so Abraham faces this challenge and this trial. God didn't intend for Isaac to be sacrificed on that altar. He, he intended for Abraham's faith to be proven. And we see through this story, what is the bottom line of what Abraham does? God tested Abraham. But Abraham trusted God. He trusted him completely. And he trusted him to bring him through this trial. Even as he walks up and Isaac says, well, where's the ram? Abraham had, again, there are different theories. Either he had faith that there was going to be a provision like he received, which was the ram in the thicket, or he believed that God was able to raise his son from the dead. Whatever it was, Abraham had faith and he knew that God was not going to see him unravel and take away the promise that he'd given to him. Amen? And we... Look at this story, and it seems so strange to us today, and yet it is echoes of what God has done for us, because the Lord has provided for our greatest need. So as we talk about the provision of God this morning, I'm not just talking about God giving us the stuff that we want. Actually, the first thing that we need to do in our lives is recognize what our greatest need is. If you want the provision of God, God is more interested in meeting your greatest need in life than he is about giving you that new car. Not that he doesn't want to give you the new car. He might want to give you the new car or the latest gadget in your pocket or whatever the thing is, the material thing that you're after, or even the, the spiritual thing that you're, that you're longing for, the breakthrough that you are asking him for. God is more, uh, he wants you to recognize your greatest need so that he can give you the greatest provision first. Amen? And our greatest need is a savior. 
We needed that resolution, that way to deal with the sin in our lives, to deal with the broken barrier between us and God. And Jesus has become sin for us and has made a way to meet our deepest and our greatest need. This account of Abraham and Isaac gives us a powerful foreshadow of the way that God gave his son for us. And the Lord provides for us as we receive by faith. When we go to Hebrews 11, the great passage which talks about the heroes of faith. It says, by faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And this is where I think we should find our theological position on this. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did, he did receive Isaac back from death. Abraham believed by faith that God was going to be able to, uh, if the writer of Hebrews is correct, which uh, would be the, my, my default uh, thought here, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive um, Isaac back from the dead. Well, there are so many echoes of how this points us to Jesus. Just some of the things that we can pick up from this story. Well, it was his only son. Of now, you may or may not be aware that Abraham had uh, had a uh, when God had made them the promise. He had become impatient, and him and Sarah decided that they were actually going to take matters into their own hand. And so, uh, Abraham had a child with one of the servants. And that, servant was, uh, that child was called Ishmael. But by this time, when the story that we're reading about has taken place, Ishmael and Hagar are now legally separated and have, have departed. So at this point in the story, Isaac is Abraham's only son. And that's why it calls him so in the passage. We see that there's a willingness to sacrifice. We've already talked about that and how God also was willing to sacrifice. But not only that. This lad was probably a teenager. I've got some teenage boys in my house. If I tried to tie them down, they're, they're probably getting away. Some of them have got even bigger muscles than me, and I know that's hard to, to fathom, hard to, hard to understand. But I, I think Isaac had an unwavering trust in his in his dad, trusting God, trusting what his dad had told him God would do. It's astounding, isn't it? It's mind-blowing. Because we don't see any evidence of him wriggling or trying to fight his way out of this situation. And we know that Jesus was willing to sacrifice his life for you and me. And we know it was painful. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Lord, Father, if there's any way, please take this cup from me, this cup of suffering I'm about to have to take. Yet he was willing to say, yet not my will, but yours be done. So that you and I could be reconciled to God. Our deepest need could be met. Actually, I have an Isaac in my house and he's taller than me and, and I don't think I'd stand a chance. Then there's the carrying of the wood for the sacrifice. You notice Isaac carries the wood. 
that's, that's going to be the wood that he, is his own sacrifice. Jesus carried the cross on his shoulders. And now he instructs us to take up our cross and to follow him. Obedience even to death. If God says it, I'll do it. Wow. I don't think I've got that ability to find that level of obedience. But Abraham and Isaac did. Jesus did. And then we see, obviously, the ram in the thicket. Maybe that points towards a crown of thorns in the thicket, the bush, the thorny bush. Maybe it points us towards the crown of thorns and the perfect lamb that was sacrificed for you and me so that we might come into relationship with God. And then there's the mountain of the Lord. And we know that that, through the passage, is the place that Abraham named Yahweh Yireh. So that's where that's the only place in Scripture where we find this phrase, Yahweh Yireh. And yet we, we use it, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. But the place of our deepest need, God has provided our deepest need. Yahweh Yireh was the name given to Abraham by Abraham to that location. And I don't, I don't have anything definitive to say here other than that it is possible and there are theories that this location was the same as the location of Calvary or close to the love on the same mountain possibly now. I don't have insight. I am no expert on that geography. But it's possible. But whether year A means to see, will be seen or provide, we have seen God's provision at the cross. Amen? So first of all, let's recognize our greatest need, our greatest test, our greatest trial, and let's receive God's greatest provision. And if you've never received God's greatest provision of forgiveness by faith, then the Alpha Course would be a great opportunity or just speak with us and we say a simple prayer and help begin that journey of walking with Jesus. But the Alpha Course would be a great opportunity to explore some questions that you may have. But God has met our greatest need. By faith in Christ, we receive forgiveness for our sin and the promise of eternal life. Amen? But not only do we trust God to provide for us spiritually, we can also trust him to meet our every need this morning. We can trust him to meet every need that we have in our life. It's through faith we are saved. We know that from Ephesians 2 and verse 8. It's by grace that we are saved through faith. But also it's by faith that we walk day by day. So faith is not a one-time thing where you just say, yes, Lord Jesus, you're my savior. I want to follow you. It's also something that we choose to step into every single day. We walk by faith and not by sight. And we have the opportunity to follow Jesus in this. And uh, later in scripture, um, Paul uh, is writing to the Philippian church, and they've been very generous. They've helped to uh, meet his needs. They've sent some financial support to him. And he says, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphrodites the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Notice how he makes the physical and material thing that they have given a spiritual We can't separate the physical and the spiritual. What we do with our bodies, what we do with our money, what we do with our minds, it is all for him. 
And so he, he, he brings those two together. He says, they are, they are an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Amen. And we often quote that verse, but actually forget about the context which comes just before it. Paul has seen how they have been generous and how they have understood that what they have belongs to the Lord. And so they've been willing to send it and to support it to him. So, so, so they had enabled and equipped him. And Paul has seen their faith and he says, I am confident of this. God is going to meet your every need. And we need to be a generous people. We need to sow what God has given into our lives, into the life of others, into the lives of those around us, into our community. And when we do that, we can know, we can be confident of this. God will meet our every need because we have learned to handle what he has given to us correctly. And Paul, if we go back some chapters, had learned what it meant to be content in times of plenty and in times of lack. So we don't get confused by thinking that God is going to give us everything and we're going to, everything's going to absolutely overflow all the time. Sometimes we are, there is a season of plenty and we need to be grateful and content in God. And sometimes there is a season of lack. Paul had learned to be content even in that time. Paul had learned to be content even in prison. What, a, what, what, what worse situation could you find yourself in than a horrible prison? And in that prison cell, he sang hymns of praise to God because he had learned to be content. And Paul was certain God would meet their needs in view of the faith they had shown and of their generosity. And the thing, it's not that there's always strings attached, but if we want God's provision, we need to, first of all, learn to understand God's heart and God's voice and God's priorities. Because those are key to receiving his provision. John 14, another verse that we would often quote, verse 12. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will, uh, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You, ask me for any, you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Sometimes, surface level reading of a passage like this means, oh great, I've got a magic wand. I can wave this and God's just going to bow to my every command and do whatever I ask him to do. How many people know that's not happened? We've all tried it, right? We've all tried it. God, zap it, do it. That's not how it works. We need to read the context, read the passage, read what it is actually saying. Whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified. Maybe there isn't, maybe there isn't even supposed to be a comma there. Whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified through the Son. Whatever you do, for, whatever you ask for, for my glory. Does that make sense? If we're doing it in his name, it's because we've understood his heart. It's because we've sensed that this is what God is instructing us to call for and ask for and do. So it's not a promise of getting whatever you want. I'm sorry to let you down this morning as I talk about the provision of God. It's actually more like a promise that you will get whatever God wants as we get his heart, as we, get, as we choose to follow him, as we choose to do things his way. It's what we ask for in his name, that he may be glorified, 
then we can be confident that he will do it. Abraham had been given a promise right back in Genesis 12. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. Why? So that you will be a blessing. Whatever God pours into your life, whatever provision God brings your way, what is the purpose of it? So that you might be a blessing. God wants to bless us abundantly. Of course he does. So that we may be a blessing to others. Whatever he pours into our lives is given that it might be a blessing to others in a way that will glorify his name. Abraham was blessed to become a blessing. Does anybody in the room this morning want to be a blessing? Yeah. So we want to receive the blessing of God in order to be able to bless others. Understanding who God is to us is so key to understanding his provision. This wonderful passage of scripture, it was... uh, Shared in the funeral yesterday, Psalm 23, often read in that context, but there are so many things in this passage that can help us as we explore this idea of provision today. The Lord is my shepherd. He's the one who looks after me. He's the one who meets my needs. He's the one who leads me. He's the one who guides me. Because of that... I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. You see, times of blessing, times of plenty, times of lush grass. And then, even though I walk through the darkest valley, or the valley of the shadow of death, an acknowledgement that life doesn't always tastes like green green grass sometimes it's a dark dark valley i will fear no evil though why because you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me you prepare a table for me we're all getting excited now about the table of jollof rice downstairs god is preparing a table for us god prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies and he anoints our head with oil so that our cup overflow what is oil in scripture the holy spirit god wants to equip us and overflow us with the holy spirit so that we can have enough to bless and give away surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and i will dwell in the house of the lord forever what is our deepest need to know the presence of god and to have eternal hope in him that we may dwell in his house forever. As Jesus has been revealed to us as the good shepherd, we can trust him to keep us from being in want. We can trust that he will meet all of our needs. He says his sheep will know his voice, and it is in following him that we have what we need. Why? Because his presence is our ultimate fulfillment. If I have nothing else but I have the presence of God, I have everything. We can say it. But it's not till we walk through it that we actually learn to live it, is it? And so as Abraham says, I, I, I will even be willing to lay my 
child down on the altar if I have the, the word and the presence of God. I wonder what we can manage to deal with. So as we come to an end, I can't promise that if you click your fingers and list your desires to the Lord that you will get all you wish for. But I can promise that if you seek him and his will, then you will have all you need. If you seek Jesus, if you seek the Lord and what he wants for you, you will receive what you need. As we talked last time about prioritizing his presence, perceiving his presence and pursuing his presence, I want to say the same thing about his provision. We need to prioritize his provision, that which he says we need. We need to perceive what it is that he is wanting to give to us. And we need to pursue and go after that which he wants us to receive. And I'm underlining his. We have to understand his heart and his will. I'm just going to finish by reading another passage of scripture for you. And I would like you to close your eyes and just... Allow God to speak to you through his word from Matthew 6. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap Or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Lord, we thank you for your word. We want to be those who obey it, live by it, apply it. Help us as we seek to do that through the days that lie ahead. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.